how she get it. Made a couple racks, I never asked how she get it. City girls gotta have fun in the city. 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 Hey everyone, I'm Christina Laguna with Connect with Christina, a.k.a. The Clout God. Yeah. And we are here today for our first episode of Connect with Christina with Brian Kelly with yes, BK yes. Home Loans. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Um, Brian, um, a lot of people already know him, obviously, as your go-to person for um, your mortgage yes. needs. He's locally um, based and owned, independent, yep. and also a broker. Yes. So you help people with buying homes yes as well as people who are not quite ready correct and yep. walk them through the process yep. okay will you share a little bit about that yeah absolutely um i'm a mortgage broker i work with over you know 40 plus companies so when somebody comes to me i take the hassle out of talking to numerous lenders right where they can come to me i basically take their scenario and i look at multiple different companies to position them with the best lender fit for their specific situation a lot of people don't realize when they go into a bank for a mortgage they only have one or two products that they can offer you right and it's based on their financial structure so you might pay more whether you realize it or not. With me, I'm able to locate the company who's gonna offer the best rate with the lowest cost and ultimately save you money. So, so people actually don't know that, and that's people don't the know problem. That. No, oftentimes people get referred by their real estate agent to a lender that they work with, and it's a mutual business affiliation for a reason, right? They pass leads and there's a there's a, uh, an arrangement there, right? They don't necessarily have your best interest, right? So it's always imperative when you're getting a home loan, the biggest financial transaction of your life, you should speak to a mortgage broker in that he has options for you, right? On the biggest financial transaction of your life, why do you talk to just one person based off a referral of your agent? That's such it a blows good my point. mind. On Black Friday, you'll shop hours and hours and hours for a TV to save 500 bucks. On a mortgage, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars over the course of the life alone that most people don't realize that they're missing out on. This is so true, and that's the fact, though. People don't know that. So, and obviously, especially you start thinking about younger people that are getting into, yeah, this, you know, you might go to say a new build and then you tour that place and then they'll typically they give you like uh, a referral, correct? But you don't have to go through that. Is that correct? Sometimes with new builds, they'll offer incentives for, Mm -hmm. for sticking with their lender. But oftentimes you don't really know what you're looking at when you look at a loan estimate. You don't know the fees in there. How are they giving you this big of a concession towards your your closing costs, right? Ultimately, with me, I would love to give somebody a second opinion and show you, sit down with you and show you side by side the numbers and talk through them, right? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, I take a lot of time with my clients to show them the difference between the lenders, right? A mortgage is a commodity. You can find one on every single corner. The difference is, are you going to pay more for it? So for those who don't understand, so realtors, brokers, like, can you ex- explain that difference? So a real estate agent is one who shows you the home, gets you into the home, right? I'm a loan officer, and there's a lot of loan officers in my industry right now because mortgages is a very cyclical business with refinances. I don't tackle refinances. Refinances are a bonus for me. I'm featuring, I'm sorry, I'm focusing more on the long haul of things, right? working with clients who are not even ready to buy a home right now, getting them into the home. Once they're into the home, I've made a sale on the home, right? Technically, you have the opportunity to refinance them down the road. But ultimately, I'm providing value for people, right? People that can't even get into a home, I'm coaching them up and showing them how to get into that home, right? Accomplish your dreams. There's so much more value to it than just providing a 
a simple sale, right? It's not just, I'm trying to get you locked into a rate and, and move on to the next. No, I'm here providing a lifelong service for people to where these are my clients. They're going to come back years down the road. They're going to refer me their, you know, family, friends, so on and so forth. So, so when people aren't ready, let's say my 21 year old goes to you and says, cause she is looking now. Mm-hmm. Uh, market's a little crazy. Very crazy Everyone's right like now. getting 30000 50000 over market. Over, yep. But she's an overachiever and wants to buy a house at 21. So, you know, how about if someone comes to you like that where they really don't know anything and maybe she doesn't have credit, you know, she's been in college, sorority, dorm. I mean, that's been her lifestyle. Maybe she doesn't have that established credit mm-hmm. yet. If she comes to you, what does that look like? A lot of people come to me and they're not ready to buy a home, but it is my job once I assess your situation, I give you a game plan as far as what to accomplish over the next few months. Am I gonna hold your hand throughout the process? As much as I can, right? But ultimately, if I give you a game plan of to accomplish X, Y, and Z, it's ultimately your responsibility to accomplish that. So that's what I do. I set them up, whether we're repairing their credit, whether I have them save more money, open a secure credit card to try to get more uh, credit lines going to improve their credit. I mean, there's multiple different things that we help people with, but ultimately, um, after I give them that game plan, I do check on them continuously month, two months, three months down the road to see how they're doing, and then eventually reconnect, and oftentimes we do reconnect. Sometimes we don't, but oftentimes we do. So it sounds like you care. I do, very much. And that you, you know, you, you said you <clears throat> would monitor. So let's say Leilani was at a 600 because she's a college student. Mm-hmm. What's like a, a credit score? that you need to buy a house these days? Right now, I mean, typically we can do everything down to a 500. It's very unreal, well, I don't wanna say unrealistic. It's uh, far and few between for those people, right? Mm -hmm. 580 is the minimum. And then typically there's a a threshold at 640. So I would say if you're at a 600, you should really reevaluate your credit and kind of come back when you're at 640 at least, because although we can get you a loan and accomplish that, you're not gonna like the terms of it. The interest rate, the mortgage insurance, right? If you're a bottom of the barrel getting into the home, sometimes the odds are against you in the favor in which you're gonna get that home at, right? So that's why credit repair, taking a little bit of time, not just rushing people into a home that they can't afford a payment with, right? We really look at their, I look at their best interest overall. So that's, I would say, what sets you apart because we all know, I mean, you know, people just want to move this along. So you're saying if it's not the best, for not the best interest of the person, you want them to wait. Absolutely. If you look at my referrals online, all of my stuff goes back to customer service and communication. Yeah, I can close your your loan quickly, get you best rates with, with no fees. But at the end of the day, the customer service and the rapport that you build with your clients is gonna set you apart from everybody else down the road. That's what people don't realize. When they work for a company and they're a loan officer, they're generating leads, those are the company's leads. That's not your business. When you leave that company, you say, goodbye to that, say goodbye to that portfolio. It doesn't belong to you. That's with my clients, point. these are my clients for life. Right, mm-hmm. and so they probably come back, refer their cousins, <clears throat> Referrals are huge. Yeah. 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 Well, so since you're in this game and um, this industry, I would say, if, I mean, are you aware of like little hacks that people can do to improve their credit a little faster? Uh, what, what are we talking about? Like, um, like how you want to improve someone, your credit? Yeah. Let's say you're, Having, you know, less than 600. Have somebody that has really good credit, maybe a family member, put you on their account as an authorized user. Right? So you're not that's gonna, one. You're not going to get a credit card from them, but as they make their payments, you 
in turn are gonna get credit for them making their payments with their credits. That is huge. That's a big one. Opening a secure credit card, right? So oftentimes people will just apply for credit cards, get declined, get declined. What you really wanna get it to do is get a secure credit card use that, pay that down often to where you can get your money back and they give you a legitimate credit card. At that point in time, now you actually have another active line of trade. That's hack number two. Anything else? Third one, you want to stick with credit. Uh, Paying down your balances is another one that I can think of. Or better yet, uh, let's go back. I got a better one. Dave Ramsey. Everybody loves Dave Ramsey. Pay with everything cash. Don't have a credit card. Don't use a credit card worst thing that you can do. You need to use credit in order to gain credit. The people who are scared to have a credit card and they pay everything with a debit card, those are the people that can't get their scores above a 660 because they don't have enough active lines of trade. So when I look at somebody and they don't have any credit cards and the score is at 660 and how do I get them higher? First thing I'm gonna tell them to do is go open a new credit card and use it right away because that'll get the score up. I'm smiling because when I started dating Kevin, he had a uh, he has a credit score of 850. I'm like, okay, I'll date you. Yeah, <laughs> success right there. I mean, that's hard for being that 850 young. 850 is the highest score. Right. That's so, your perfect credit score. Anyone in Arizona, especially if you follow me, this is your guy. Yes. Um, and of course, I have the privilege of bringing him on here for far beyond the mortgage world and um, being an amazing broker and really caring about people and helping people realize their dreams and getting into their homes. But I have the privilege of having Brian Kelly here to talk about his beautiful history and the good stuff. How did you get to where you are now and what, what's your background, <laughs> my friend? Um, you know, a long time ago, I was in high school, started off in high school. Um, Selling drugs just became kind of a a second way of life in a sense, right? Just very um, wanted to follow like the the cool scene, right? Got caught up with the wrong people and started kind of mixing myself into um, a little bit of trouble, right? And so with that came um, recreational drug use, right? So smoking a little bit of weed here and there, not a big deal. But ultimately, I got into uh, pain pills, right? So... Oxycontin, Vicodin, those sorts of things. Well, Oxycontin at the time was a big thing and still is now um, and began to dabble with that for a while. And eventually, after I couldn't kind of keep up with that, uh, my means turned over to heroin, right? So a lot of people nowadays battle opiate addictions and they go from the pain pills in which they can afford at that time. And then eventually after you become so-called drug addict and you can't keep your life together, you can't afford those sorts of things anymore, right? So you switch over to something like heroin that's a lot more affordable, yet a lot more dangerous too. So how did that happen though? So you're saying it was in high school. Was there any particular event in your life or was it just you were around... Yeah, no. I had a very good upbringing. Parents are still married, had everything, good grades in school, played sports. I think I was just bored, you know? And then I have a very addictive personality, too. So you add passion and, and a substance in there together, and I think that it, it caused an explosion and, and propelled me in one direction. There is value to that when you're saying you're bored. I mean, I have daughters and, you know, work very hard to keep them busy. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I understand that. Yeah. Idle hands are the devil's playground. This day. <laughs> it's true. How long were you an addict and when did you find out you needed help? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say it lasted from 18 to about 24, if I can remember correctly. So about six years. Wow. Right. Um, and this is a term of 
constant um, struggles, right? So I'm talking about getting sober and then relapsing, getting sober, then relapsing. I mean, time and time again, I went through every detox program probably here in Phoenix. I've been through a couple of 30-day rehab programs. I had taken over-the-counter medications such as like Suboxone, different things to kind of taper me off of these opiates and really nothing ever worked, right? So ultimately, I just kept running and gunning. And then, you know, I've, I knew that I needed help um, slowly over time, but heroin is a very addictive opiates are a very addictive drug because um, when you get high you, you feel very remorseful like you want to get sober you see the damage that you're doing you can empathize with people but when you don't have it when you wake up every morning it's like waking up with the flu and you will do anything to combat that sickness with another head of dope right which is what cures everything right so waking up in the morning every day feeling sick and I'm talking about flu-like symptoms that last for seven days and even if you pass the seven days and you come out of the withdrawal you're still so uncomfortable with yourself you don't know how to live life sober right so it's a challenge in order to put together a, a, a period of time of sobriety especially when other people are using drugs around you so you know were you mean? around people that were doing no drugs like too? when i got clean I, I set myself apart from that um i had various you know, attempts of getting clean here and there. But ultimately, what really got me clean was when I um, dived right into a 12-step program. Honestly, that's what did it for me. So before that part, like, walk me through what it was like for your family, for your people that loved you. What yeah. was that like? Tough. Um, my mom's an enabler or was an enabler throughout the process. So she would lie to my dad, right, enable me to kind of have this behavior where I would steal from them or conduct this kind of behavior and she would really kind of keep it away from him because he has very tough love tough love you put me on the street who knows what's going to happen to me she kind of wanted to shelter me for a long time sure she's a well, mom yeah in that that's hard in that we caused a lot of damage to her um to the point where i remember one day she told me that uh she, she actually wished that i would hurry up and overdose and die because at that point in time she would have to worry about getting a phone call in the middle of the night and worrying about you know, if that's me or not, right? Because that's what life was like every single day watching me wow. live that life is um, she sees that I'm miserable, she sees that I'm sick, whatever it is, whatever, sees that I'm high. Um, just didn't want to watch that anymore. She was like, I'd be much better off knowing that you were in peace, away, so I don't have to experience this every day. So that was a real moment, I think, you know? Yeah. Hearing that. So your, <clears throat> the program that you got into, you said, the one that worked. I mean, a how many program. programs did you even get into? Um, and which one worked? Like the rehab programs and all that? Yeah. No, I, my, my family's not rich, by all means, no. Um, I'd go to city-funded ones. I've gone to ones that costed money that were like maybe 10000 or something. I can't remember how much. But they were nothing luxurious down in Tucson like most people go to. No. So what would you say really got you? I mean, because look at you now. Right. So I want anyone that's listening that's going through this right now. This is a real story of someone that went through this. And like I said, look at you now. Yeah. So where, what was that like? When did that happen? How long? Like I mentioned, um, I'd been to, I had a stent in prison for a little while in the midst of my addiction. That wasn't even enough to get me sober, right? And I did a year. And, and when I got out, I stayed clean for a short period of time and then slowly turned a leaf to, to getting back into it. But I honestly think it was just a matter of just being sick and tired of being sick and tired almost. I know that's a very cliche type of uh, um, phrase, but ultimately living life with, with no friends, no family, nobody wants to be around you. You've taken advantage of everybody. You've burned all your bridges. Um, getting high is is a job, 
right? Finding funds for that is a job. And so it required street activity that like it just it was a very isolated moment, very dark moment. You know what I mean? And um, I had gone to many 12 step programs before and I saw a guy who was my sponsor and or who was not my sponsor at the time. I asked him to be my sponsor. And uh, with that, you know, he kind of helped me out for a little bit, a mentor in a sense. But uh, I didn't listen very long. You know, I went back to the, the same old thing. And finally... So that's the relapse you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's multiple of those, right? Multiple relapses. So what is that like? Like you're good for how long and then you go back? Three months, sometimes two weeks. You know what I mean? That's On and real. off. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then with him this time around, he says, you know, I'm not going to waste my time unless you're willing to do what I tell you to do. And at that point in time, I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I'll go live in a sober living house. So I did. I didn't, I didn't stay at my family's house anymore because they were enablers, right? I went to meetings. I so worked you with wanted a, the help. I, want, I worked with a sponsor. I did all the stuff that sounded like bullshit, right? Okay. Like, going to meetings and helping new people, that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to pray to God, right? I didn't want to do all the things that they told me to do. But the moment that I started doing those things is when my life started to turn around, right? So I went to meetings every day. I did 90 and 90 at first. I got a sponsor. Once I went through my steps, I started helping new people, right? And that's where I think really everything kind of turns around is the moment that you can begin to give back and give to less fortunate. It really propels you even further ahead. Hence the reason why I was excited to hop on the show. So you're saying when you relapse, it's anywhere from three months, you're good, two weeks, but then that final stop where you were like, I'm good. How? Mm -hmm. So was the what the relapse prior to that, what was that? Like, was there something that no. happened? No. Nope. You just... I just decided to put in the work. That's all it is. At the end of the day, it's, 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 it's a mental thing that you're going to hold on and you're going to do whatever it fucking takes. Bottom line. How long have you been sober? Oh, what do you call sober? Or how long have you been not ten, been about doing over, heroin? Uh, God, I think it's been over 10 years now. Okay, cheers to that. Yeah, right? Water. Um, but no, like, so water. one of the unfortunate things, though, is because I'm not completely sober, like I still go out to, you know, Old sure. Town and have drinks, I can't participate in any kind of, like, uh, recovery program, right? Hmm. But uh, I ultimately, you this will be recovery program for some people because this is real. But the, the things that I learned in those rooms in the 12 step program had really taught me a lot. Um, and I still apply some of those same principles to this day um, in, in my relationships, friendships, business relationships, so on and so forth. I mean, what advice would you give to people that are currently right now going through this, putting on a face on every day? You know, showing up, but deep down they're in, in, in a really dark place. Like, what would you tell them that could help them? It's tough because I have a, I'm, I'm a very tough love kind of person, right? Like, a lot of people, when I talk to them about their issues or whatever's going on, everybody has a sob story. And, and you know, I get it. Life is not fair sometimes. But ultimately, you are responsible for yourself. You know what I mean? And... If you're not suffering enough yet, if you think your life is that bad, it's not yet, right? If you're not willing to do what it takes to get out of there, you really haven't had enough yet. People talk about how they've had enough, this and that, but their actions show, right? Uh, I think at the end of the day, just like with everybody else, there's a lot of people who talk in life, right? And there's other people that actually back up their talk with actions, sure. and you can see that, you know what I mean? Try things that are different. We always think that we have it figured out and, and we know how to handle things on our own. But honestly, the moment that I listened to somebody else's advice and actually succumbed to the idea that I was going to be praying and doing all sorts of things that I didn't want to do with my life, it changed. 
automatically. I think like for a lot of people, for me even, and people that are probably listening to this, I think this is like a triggered subject. It just pulls on your heartstrings. It's like, it charges you because it's real. It happens. I mean, it's every day. Yeah, so. and some aren't so fortunate to get away from it, right? Like I've had many family, or I'm sorry, I've had many friends that have died, you know, in my past and then even recently. Um, I, I still think there are some of my friends too right now who, who party probably too much and kind of experience their own life and in the means that they do. And, and ultimately, um, you know, I've, I'm always there for them, but you, you can't help certain people. And that's true, because you know? I think we've shared friends where it's like, you know, what, I mean, to a certain point, you almost extend yourself and be like, yo, slow down mm -hmm. but there's only so much you can do but i think it, you're right if you care about someone you should say something should. even if that person doesn't agree doesn't agree my you know not like the fact that you're even saying anything to a them. lot of people turn um silent they turn their shoulder don't say anything right even though they may care they don't want to create conflict they may not want to be viewed differently by that person right like why are you in my business that sort of thing. So I guess whoever's listening to this or will be listening to this to this while they're working out at Independence with Five Star Fitness, um, I guess that's a, a big thing is that you have to, to care enough, really care enough to say something because you're going to show up to the funeral. You're going to say a prayer. You're going to let go of balloons and butterflies and posts and share messages between the person and you. But that's too late. too late. So I think that you, if you truly care about the person beyond the bottles, beyond the party, then you should say something. Absolutely, you know? I agree. Maybe yeah. even if it's just directly. So, and I think this is just a, a crazy subject anyway, because there's layers. There's layers of just everything. Society, politics, you know. And, and while I agree you can enable people, I feel, for me, I, I would rather have a support system for people as well, where, you know, our, our monies could go to people that, let's say you are going through stuff, you know, and instead of shaming them, which, you know, you guys are aware that like in Arizona, they feature this thing where if you're out on bail or you're cleaning the yards or like the, the freeways, you a long ago, you put a sh shirt on. Mm -hmm. I was in an addict, you put the chains, you know, and like everyone just driving, just looking at these people. Right, on the side of the road, yeah. Right, but I, I think it's that olden idea of like shaming them. Now, I don't agree with that. I think that we need to look into real help and like providing real jobs and providing support system. Because I feel like our, our society, of course, if you're an addict, you're not highly regretted, right? So you either get passed on, overlooked, but they need help. They do. So, I mean, I don't know if you listened to the Side of Mayo um, podcast. I yeah, did. But I talked about um, how I help with um, people that get out of jail. Mm -hmm. They don't know where to go. No. My properties wouldn't approve them. They have a felony. Correct. So where are you going to put them? A lot of people are like that. Right back to what the issue was in the beginning. Yeah. So, so it's a circle. It's just a cycle. It is, especially after you've been incarcerated too. I found that to be difficult as well. Like once I had a felony on my record, having an actual company who is going to employ you to where you have success to climb the corporate ladder, forget about it. It's so competitive out there right now. Um, you know, having having any kind of felony on your record, you're not viewed to be competitive at all. I think. Right. And and I mean, obviously, like I'm the biggest believer that 
bad things happen to good people. Good people make mistakes. All the time. And I think you're like a perfect example of how you can turn your life around when you decide. When you decide is the, is the, the key piece of it. I think at the end of the day, a lot of people talk about what they want and they, they want, they, they do want it, but they, they lack the effort and they lack the consistency and they lack the action. So on top of that decision-making factor, I guess, what would you say that really has helped you be where you are now? I realized often on, uh, early on, um, I'm very passionate about certain things, right? So if you leave me with, with nothing to do, idle hands, right? I'll pursue the drug using, right? But the moment that I flourished myself and, and dove in head first into building my business, that's what I occupy myself with, right? It's all about growing this this brand and this team underneath me, and that's the vision that I have. And then, of course, you know, shout out to my beautiful girlfriend over here who is a big supporter in my daily life. Without her right now, things would be very, very chaotic sometimes. So definitely to her. And then also my parents, man, I've put them through a lot. And at the end of the day, they still stand by my side. And the, the look on their face with the amount of success that I've had over the last two years in comparison to where I was at 10 years ago is um, it, it's, it leaves me speechless every time because I remember to my dad, <clears throat> very verbally abusive, like growing up, right? Like, you know, my, my family, uh, my grandfather did very well in life as an anesthesiologist and dad, so on and so forth. I had big shoes to fill, right, from my dad's side of the family. And so when you're a drug addict and, and you're, you're not able to put together a semester of college, right, it was like, hey, you might as well clean the pool today while we're gone because that's all you're going to know how to do in life. You know what I mean? I remember that one verbatim, and I'm like, fuck you. Like, that'll never be the case, right? Um, but ultimately, my parents, man, they've they've been there for me from, from day one. Big supporters over there. Brian, for the people out there listening mm. to this and are going through this very situation that we've talked about today, and they haven't decided if they want help, or maybe they are in the middle of this right now, what words of encouragement would you offer them? Definitely, yeah. Don't don't give up, and, and definitely ask for help, right? Being proactive and trying different things is what led me to kind of find an escape, right? It was because I was open minded and tried something else, and definitely, you know, tell on yourself. I would reach out to a friend, get involved as as much as you can with with people who have. Um, people you can keep your, yourself accountable with, right? People that are going to hold you accountable, right? And, and not keep fucking up. There are a lot of people who we co-sign off on each other's bullshit just because they're like, yep, he's doing okay, he'll be fine, right? And the reality, two weeks down the road, we might hear that they've died, right? And then that very, very surreal for all of us, right? So at the end of the day, it's, um, it, it's nothing lightly to play around with, right? It is a very, very dark um, disease and I would have to say that um, being proactive as much as possible about getting help is, is the best thing that you can do and you being here today is an example that it can be done absolutely sure. yep so yep. Um, I have some awesome surprises for you us got a today. cupcake in there it looks like a yeah. sprinkles box so guys this is our sponsor for episode one of connect with Christina real ambition fitness Boom. thank you Travis this is a local brand. Let's see how uh, how this looks. Look, and it's so soft. You feel that? Yeah, try it on. Yay, can I wear it? I want to wear it. I want to wear it. You want some help there? Yeah. Guys, actually, it's really soft. You need one. The cool story about our sponsor today on episode one, Real Ambition Fitness, is that Travis created this brand so that people can feel confident in the gym, wherever that is, 
you know, from the beginning of their journey to the end. And it's super soft. So um, his Instagram is at real underscore ambition underscore fitness and Twitter at real ambition fits. Give Travis a call. Yes. Brian, thank you so much for thank being you for here. Me. Honestly. Really. Thank you for being here, sharing this amazing story. I'm happy to do so. Now tell everyone what you're up to next, how they can get a hold of you. What's coming next is I'm still, I'm trying to build a team right now, trying to um, hire new loan officers and get them off the uh, the refinance train and get them to building a longevity business where they can call those clients theirs for life and really make a lot of money. As some of you know, I love helping people get jobs and get started in a new career, find their new passion. So it looks like we have an opportunity here with yep. Brian. So like Christina mentioned, I am looking to grow a team. So if you're a hustler and you think you have what it takes, please reach out to me. My phone number is 602-622-1145. Thank you everyone for watching Connect with Christina, episode one. Stay tuned for episode two. Amazing guests line up ahead. Brian Kelly with BK Home Loans. Thank, Thank you. you. Nope. Thank, Thank you, you for being here. I appreciate and it. And again, thanks for watching Connect with Christina, AKA The Cloud God. Thank you for being with Connect. I forgot. Oh my god. That is a blooper. That's a blooper. That ain't going nowhere, baby. You keep it that way.